this is Pastor Daryl Beggs. You're listening to Sunday Morning Sermons from Central Baptist Church in Hillsboro, Texas. Thanks for joining us, and God bless you. We're starting a new series of messages out of the book of Hebrews today, and I'm excited about that. Today's message is entitled, The Last Word. Is there anybody in here who enjoys having the last word? Anybody? Yes, I see that hand. We're praying for repentance. All right. Having the last word, what does that have to do with? Well, I looked it up and it said it has to do with ego and power, having the last word. I read, I read about a couple of guys who were talking about their wives and they said, yes, occasionally we do have a, a discussion. Really, you might could even call it an argument once in a while. But he said, but I have figured out how to have the last word. And the other guy says, well, how do you do that? And he said, my last words are always yes, dear. So that works good. If you look up famous last words, you can find some interesting ones. There's a man by the name of James, James Rogers. He was facing a firing squad in Utah, and they asked him if he had any last requests, and he said, yes, I would like a bulletproof vest. No, he didn't get that. A Union general during the Civil War by the name of General John Sedgwick, he, was, his, he and his men were under fire from a sniper, and just before he died, he said, they couldn't hit an elephant from that distance. Think about that one. W.C. Fields, the old comedian, was on his deathbed, and somebody asked him why he was reading his Bible. And he said, I'm looking for loopholes. But I like this one. It's from Evangelist D.L. Moody. He awoke from sleep shortly before he died, and he said, Earth recedes, heaven opens before me. If this is death, it is sweet. There is no valley here. God is calling me and I must go. And Moody's son said, no, no, father, you're dreaming. And Moody replied, I'm not dreaming. I have been within the gates. This is my triumph. This is my coronation day. It is glorious. Isn't that wonderful? Last words can be humorous. They can be inspiring. And those are some of the last words of men. But what is God's last word to us? Well, he tells us right here in Hebrews chapter 1. Verse 1, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways, in these last days, what are last days? Well, those are the days since Jesus came to be born in the manger at Bethlehem. We've been in the last days ever since, and He's coming again, and we need to be ready. In these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. And He is the radiance of His glory and the exact representation of His nature and upholds all things by the word of His power. When He had made purification of sins, He sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. God has given us His final revelation through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. As the Hebrew Christians were suffering and as they were wavering in their faith, God commissioned the book of Hebrews. We don't know who wrote it. But he commissioned it, and it was inspired by the Holy Spirit, and he commissioned it to say to those people, Jesus is the last word, and he's better. He's better. He's better than what? Well, he said to them, and we're going to see this as we go through the book, he's better than angels, and he's better than Moses, and he's better than animal sacrifices, and he's better than the best high priest you ever had. He is our last and our best and our only opportunity to know God, to face life's difficulties, and to have eternal security. That's who Jesus is. Today, we begin this series of messages. And this message, as I said, is entitled, The Last Word. 
And as he begins to unfold this story for us, he begins by reminding us that Jesus is better because we are in the last days. And again, Jesus is God's final revelation and God's final judge. So as the last word, Jesus is better, but how? He is better in his revelation. In verses 1 and 2, it says that God has spoken. It wasn't a new thing for God to speak. God has always been speaking. He has always been speaking. He has never stopped speaking. But now he was going to reveal himself in a new and incredible way. And he talks here about the former revelation. The source was the same as it is now. The source was God. God spoke. He spoke through the prophets in the old revelation. He speaks through the Son in the new revelation. But it's the same God. The former revelation came from the prophets. And a prophet was, who was a prophet? A prophet, you know, a lot of people think of a prophet as someone who tells the future. But really, a prophet was more of a foreteller than a foreteller, although there was some of that. He told forth the word of God with clarity and with power and with authority. If you read the Old Testament prophets, you hear them saying over and over, thus says the Lord, and they speak with authority and power and clarity into the hearts and minds of God's people. And God says to the prophets, listen to me. I want you to listen. And God used them in mighty ways. And when the writer of Hebrews said that it was in many portions, think about that. He says it's in many portions here. Um, He has spoken to us in many portions and in many ways in verse 1. What does that mean? It means in fragments. What does that mean? It means that no one prophet had the whole message. But all of the prophets were speaking and building toward a climax. And that climax and the fulfillment of that was the Lord Jesus Christ. He spoke in portions and in ways. But it was all building up to this crescendo of the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Many prophets, many ways. Sometimes God spoke through dreams. You remember, you remember the dream of Jacob? As he lay on a stone for a pillow at Bethel, and he saw this ladder ascending into heaven, and its bottom on the earth, and the angels ascending and descending, and God speaking to him and reminding him, I am the God of Abraham and Isaac. I will give your descendants this land. And he reminded him of who he was. He spoke to him through a dream. He, speaks through, he spoke through voices like Samuel in the middle of the night, the young Samuel. He kept hearing this voice, Samuel, Samuel. He kept getting up and going to Eli, the old priest. The old priest finally figured it out and he said, go back over there. And when you hear the voice again, say, speak, Lord, for I'm listening. And God spoke to him and told him he was going to judge Eli, but he was going to raise him up to be a great leader in Israel. He spoke through his voice. He spoke through visions, like that incredible vision of Isaiah in Isaiah chapter 6, where he goes into the temple because King Uzziah had died, and King Uzziah had been king for 52 plus years. And somebody is your leader for 52 years, it's time to pray when they die, because you need new leadership. And so he goes to the temple to pray, and he looks up and he sees, and he sees, I saw, he says, I saw the Lord high and lifted up. I saw him exalted. What was God saying to him through that? He was saying, you may find security in Uzziah, but I I am still the king above all kings. And he cleansed his lips and he said, who shall I send and who shall go for me? And Isaiah said, here am I, Lord, send me. And he spoke to him through a vision. 
He sometimes speaks through a still, small voice. You remember Elijah in the cave in a time of crisis and God speaking to him. And God sent a, a mighty wind, but the Scripture says God's voice was not in the wind. And then God sent an earthquake to shake that place, but God wasn't in the earthquake. And then he sent fire, and he said God wasn't in the fire. But then there was a gentle breeze and a still, small voice. And God spoke to Elijah through that still, small voice. Sometimes he spoke through nature as Moses was out herding those sheep for his father, father-in-law Jethro and looked up and saw that burning bush and said, I must turn aside. And because he turned aside and became the prophet and the deliverer, we worship the ultimate prophet and deliverer today as God spoke to him through nature. Sometimes he speaks through history. The children of Israel were in bondage to the Babylonians, but God called a Nehemiah and a Ezra to go back and rebuild the wall and the temple and to rebuild the faith of the people of God who had disobeyed and gone astray. God spoke in many times and in various ways through those prophets. And aren't we thankful for every word? And if you've not read the prophets lately, I challenge you this week to go back and find one to read. Read the wonderful words of Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other prophets and find in them your encouragement and find in them God speaking to you afresh and anew because we have such an advantage over those Old Testament saints. We have the Spirit of God to teach us. And so he spoke through those prophets. God used different methods to speak to those prophets and through those prophets. And then he spoke at another time. Long ago, the scripture says, in the past. Don't miss this. That word means, that, that, that word means something that's in the past that's ready to be replaced. It means that all of those things were pointing to the great replacer, the Lord Jesus Christ. That God spent all of that time and all of those centuries leading up to showing us Jesus. That was the former revelation. But Jesus is the new revelation, the better revelation. It says the source is the same. It's God. The agent is different. He is not a, an ordinary prophet. He is the Son of God. So it's the same source, but a different person. Someone put it this way. The prophets had been mouthpieces for God. This was not another mouthpiece. This was God Himself. It was not characterized by fragments this time. It was characterized by a life that was so full and so complete that everything about Jesus spoke. Why His birth spoke. And His, his virgin birth spoke the very Son of God. His perfect life spoke. There was never any sin found in Him. His teaching spoke, for they are eternal. And He still wants us to hang on His every word. His death spoke, for He died in your place as mine, and mine is the perfect sacrifice. His resurrection spoke, because God said, I am pleased with my Son. And His ascension spoke, for He said, I will not leave you as orphans. I will send you another comforter, another helper. And He did. He spoke through all of his life, no fragments. Jesus, God's last word. They, the prophets, were different than Jesus. In these last days, he's spoken to us. A better agent, God's son, a better character, complete, not in fragments. A better method, not just men inspired by God, but God himself. And a better time, permanent and not temporary. We all want the newest and best thing. Most of you, or 
Many of you, if not most of you, are carrying the latest iPhone you have. You remember when, when I was a kid and you were a kid? Some of you are old enough, you just had, a, you know, you just had those two strings and ten cans, right? Well, we had a rotary dial phone and a party line. And now we all just have an iPhone. It's just a party, right? It's all, we're in touch with anybody, anywhere. and We've got the world at our fingertips. And we want the latest and greatest gadget. But God is saying to you, Jesus is my last word. And there is no better. There is no replacement. There is no upgrade. He's it. And we must listen to him. So he's better in his revelation, but secondly, he is better in his person. Look at verse 3. Look at this glorious verse. And he is the radiance of his glory, the glory of God, and the exact representation of his nature, and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. Why is he better than prophets? Because of who he is. He's the creator. Not only did Jesus speak this world and the planets and the universe into existence, but he sustains it. The only reason your body is still holding together today is because Jesus is in charge of that. The only reason we don't spin off out into outer space is because Jesus is in charge of that. He's holding all things together the prophets were the created. Jesus was the creator. That's why he's better than the prophets. He is better than all of them. He is the revealer, the scripture says. He says in verse 3, he's the radiance of his glory. He's the radiance of his glory. What does that mean? That means that he's not a reflection. He's the source. The sun is the source. The moon is a reflection. No matter how beautiful it is at night, it has no light source of its own. It depends upon the sun to reflect off of it. What is he saying? Those prophets depended upon God to help them, to reflect his glory off of them. But Jesus is the radiance. He's the radiator of the glory of God. So that when you go into the presence of Jesus Christ and you pray in his name, you are not approaching a prophet or a priest or a king, although he is all of those. You are approaching the creator and the revealer of God himself. The radiance of his glory. He is the radiator of the glory of Almighty God. What an incredible Savior. And the exact rep representation, it says. The very splendor of God in human form. The exact replica of his glory. The prophets were men. Jesus is God. He's divine. And that makes him better. But there's something even better for us. He's not only creator and revealer. He's redeemer. He came, he came to buy back my soul and yours. He came to buy us back. Because we were enslaved to our sin. We were enslaved to the enemy, to the devil. We were enslaved to an eternity separated from God. But he came and poured out his own blood, opened up his own veins and bled them out for us. For the life is in the blood, the scripture says in Leviticus. He gave his life so that we would not have to give hours in eternal separation from God. And then he picked it up again on the third day he rose that we might have hope for now and for all eternity 
eternity. He is the Redeemer. When He had made purification for sins, He says here, He sat down at the right hand of the Father. Why is Jesus better than all of those prophets and all of those Levites who served at the temple? Because a Levitical priest who served at the tabernacle at the temple, his job was never done. He just kept having to offer sacrifices over and over and over for the sins of the people. But Jesus took care of the sacrifice for all sins of all time, for you and for me and for all people. Glory to God. And He has sat down at the right hand of the Father because His work is done. Ah, we celebrate a risen, living Savior who is better. He's just better. And as we continue through this book, I I pray it will be a blessing, an encouragement to you. The emphasis is that he had completed his work. His ministry of redemption was complete, and that makes him better. He's better in his revelation, for it is not fragmentary, it is full. And he is better in his person, because he's not just a spokesperson He is God stepped out of heaven, come to speak to you and me. But what does that mean? What does that mean to us as we think about this and apply this to ourselves as we come down to the end here? What does that mean to us that He is better in His revelation and in His person? Well, it means, first of all, that God isn't distant. Aren't you thankful that God is not distant? Now, sometimes God feels distant. I know that. I understand that. I've been there. I know that. But, but I know this. I know that He came and that He still speaks. That He is not distant. He sent His only Son from heaven as His last word to say that He is our last, best, and only opportunity to do three things. To know God, to face life's difficulties, and to have eternal security. If you do not have those three things in your life today, you can have them before you go. If you trust in Him. He is our last, best opportunity, number one, to know God. There's only one way to know God, and that's through His Son, Jesus Christ. The Scripture says that there is one God and that there is one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. He's the only way. He's the way to know God. But He is also the way to face life's difficulties. For He says to us, Come to Me, all you that burden are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take My yoke upon you and learn of Me, for I am meek and humble of heart, and you will find rest for your souls to handle life's difficulties and to have eternal security. For the Scripture says, Jesus said, I give unto them eternal life, and no one, I mean no one, I mean no one shall snatch them out of my hand. That's what Jesus said. That's what it means to us. It means that God is not distant. He is as close as a prayer. And He's there. But it also tells us something more about Him. Listen to this. The world is full of pain, of emptiness, and of need. In Jesus, we have someone who can relieve that pain, fill that emptiness, satisfy that need. The Jesus who is creator, revealer, and redeemer, who now sits at the right hand of the Father, is sufficient to meet our needs. What does that mean? That means that if if you're struggling today, if you're hurting today, if you're not sure which direction to turn today or what to do, if you're, if you're just in between that rock and that hard place, 
it means that He wants to be there for you. As a Christian, sometimes even as Christians, we forget that when life gets difficult and bears down on us, that He wants to help us. That's what it says. But then what does it say about our faith? It says, if you need a Redeemer, He's there. He wants you to be part of His family. It says that if you're a Christian, He wants to sustain you and help you and deliver you and strengthen you through your problems. But what does it say about our faith in general? This thing we call the Christian faith. What does it say about that? It says that if He is the better and the last word from God, the the great revelator, the radiance of, of the living God, and if because of who He is and what He's done, if this is all true, what does it mean to us? It means that we should pour our lives into our relationship with Him so that we may experience all that He has for us. It means that we must never give up because the Hebrews were tempted to give up and we'll see that as we walk through this. But the writer to the Hebrews says you can't give up. There is no other revelation. There'll be no more prophets. Jesus is God's last word. You cannot give up. You must never give up. You must keep moving forward in pursuing Him and His purposes and His kingdom and His glory. If this is really true, can we do any less? Then pursue Him with our heart and soul and mind and strength. Why? Well, I'll tell you why. Because He is the last word. And He will have the last word. And if you want to be on the safe side of the argument, you need to be on His team. So I want to invite you today to bow your heads for a moment and just think about who He is. He is glorious. Listen to this again with me. Just, just bow your head and soak this in. He is the radiance of His glory. He's the very source and the exact representation of His nature. He can be no other but gracious and merciful. And He upholds all things by the word of His power. He's holding all things together. And when He had made purification of sins, yours and mine, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And he's sitting there right now, interceding for you and for me and inviting us to come to him humbly.